invited me to come back and to do it again. And some of you are, are new, and uh, I hope you really enjoy this retreat. So, welcome, everyone. Now, my understanding is that uh, everyone at this retreat uh, uh, shouldn't have too much you shouldn't have a problem understanding me because, unfortunately, I don't speak your language. Uh, so, but what I do want to encourage any of you to do, uh, maybe you could turn this down just a little bit. What I want, please, uh, of course, everyone, ask questions any time of something you don't understand. But uh, also, if it's just a uh, if, if I use terminology or, or words that you don't understand, by all means, you know, ask, uh, please ask me and, and if I can. And if it's something that uh, uh, you need to, that we need to provide the uh, Chinese equivalent for, there's uh, several people who can probably do that very effectively. So, but I, as I understand it, all of you uh, uh, will speak and understand English really well. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah good. Okay. Wonderful. <coughs> so, um, just to go over some mechanics of the whole process of how the retreat is going to work. First of all, uh, everyone got a, a, a page called Retreat Orientation. And have you had a chance to look at that? Is there any questions? That, is there anyone that didn't have a chance to look at this page? Yeah? You, you didn't? Okay, take a moment. Any of you that have, or is there anything, uh, do you have any questions about this? Basically, what we're going to be doing is meditating as close to 24 hours a day as possible. Okay? So the formal practice is sitting and walking. But I will ask you to try to sustain that same meditative state in all of the other activities throughout the day. When you're, uh, no matter what it is that you're doing. Try to... Uh, sustain uh, focus and awareness of, of everything at all times right up to when you fall asleep at night and then when you wake up in the morning try to immediately resume uh, awareness of, of your breath and awareness of your actions and awareness of, of your thoughts and mental states and just practice that continuous awareness all of the time. Uh, I'll be doing meditation interviews with you uh, in the morning. So each of you uh, uh, will meet every second day. And uh, the purpose of this is uh, so that I can find out what's happening in your practice, what, uh, what's going on in your meditation practice, and give you as much advice as I can to, to guide you to 
uh, have the most effective uh, practice that uh, I can based on the circumstances. So, of course, I have to rely on you to uh, explain to me what's happening in your practice as clearly as possible. Okay? Uh, I've only... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll only be getting together for about 15 minutes, which should be enough to, to go over what's happening in your practice and for me to provide some guidance. It sometimes happens, though, that someone will... You know, sometimes things start to happen unexpectedly and more rapidly in meditation. And if you start to if you start to have things happening in your meditation and you feel like you need to talk to me uh, outside of your interview time, then you can arrange to do that by by getting in touch with Nancy. You can approach her and. Uh, Tell her that you would uh, uh, you would like to uh, see me outside of the regular interview schedule. For example, if we have an interview uh, in the morning, and then that same afternoon you start to have some very uh, powerful uh, meditation experiences that you're not sure what to do with, then rather than waiting until the day after uh, tomorrow in order to to talk about those, I'd rather that rather than I had the opportunity to talk about you before. Then. Okay. But for the meditation interview time, it's not really a time to talk about Dharma in general. We're going to have a Dharma talk every evening, and that's the time to ask questions and to talk about Dharma in general. Uh, it's also uh, every, every morning after the interviews, we're going to uh, uh, talk about practice specifically, and I can answer specific practice questions, some of the things that come up with you in meditation is more appropriate to ask about in group because they may be the kinds of things that other people are experiencing as well, or they will experience, and so they'll have the benefit of hearing uh, hearing your question and hearing my answers to it. Um, it's also uh, because uh, of the amount of time that's available, it's not a good time to, for us to get into personal situations that you may have in your life. That's a, that's a different kind of topic uh, appropriate uh, for another occasion other than meditation interviews. But the purpose of the meditation interviews is so that uh, as much as possible, anything that I can do to facilitate you having the most effective meditation practice, being able to deal with whatever problems are coming up for you, or being able to uh, make changes to the way you practice in order to to get the uh, best and most uh, satisfying results. Okay, so that's the focus of it. Okay, any questions about that? Good. All right. Now, as I said, we'll be meditating continuously as much as possible all of the time. And uh, the, the Buddha's instructions were to uh, go to a lonely place, a solitary place, forest, an abandoned dwelling, the root of a tree. And so what we're going to do is practice noble silence, which means more than just not talking. It means as much as possible trying to create an environment in which it's as if each of us were 
undistracted by any other person, as if we had gone to the forest and were sitting at the root of the tree with no one else around. So uh, that means, of course, refrain from talking, but it also means to refrain from doing some of the ordinary things that we do uh, that are part of our sociability and our politeness because they're going to intrude on, on another person's practice and they're going to interrupt our own. So it's things like, you know, when you're uh, crossing paths with someone, rather than uh, your eyes meeting and perhaps you smile and things like that, uh, try to remember to, to look down, look away, so that, you know, as, as, as if you were complete strangers, so that you allow everyone to be focused on their practice and it allows you to remain focused on your practice. Right? Because, and, and you'll notice, you know, from time to time you will inadvertently, uh, your eyes will meet someone else's and you'll notice, you'll, you'll actually you'll feel the impact that has on disrupting the, the, the focused attention that you've been practicing because uh, we naturally, when we see someone else, uh, there's, there's that connection that draws us out of, out of our own concentration. So I try not to do that. Uh, if there are occasions when you do need to speak, uh, for example, you're asked to help do some uh, uh, minor tasks or chores each day to help make the retreat run smoothly, and sometimes you may need to ask a question or say something to someone in connection with that. But when that occasion comes, please uh, make it as brief as possible. And make sure that you really need to ask the question and then make the question or the answer as, as short as possible and, and as soon as possible go back to noble silence. So. Good, good, good. All right. Um, so we'll uh, an, another part of this retreat is that we're going to uh, on a daily basis we're going to uh, pay homage to the Buddha and to uh, Take the uh, take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, and then we are going to take precepts together. Now, this is this is something that has been done for 2,500 years. It's a it's a wonderful practice, and uh, so we'll do that shortly, and that will mark the actual beginning of the retreat. We'll do that, and then I'll proceed to give you more detailed. Uh, instruction in the practice. Uh, so when we do that, that will be the beginning of noble silence. Now you can always ask questions when we're having a talk, like we are this evening, or like we will tomorrow morning, and during the Dharma talk tomorrow evening. You, you not only can ask questions, I encourage you to ask questions. Please do ask questions. But the rest of the time, maintain uh, noble silence. Uh, before we go ahead with doing the refuges and precepts, I'd like you to look at the schedule of the retreat with me. Does everyone have a, a copy of the, the schedule so that you know what we're going to be doing for the next nine days?
we're going to get up at 6 and we're going to do our first group sitting at 6.30. We'll do two, two sittings before breakfast. Each morning. And then before we begin our, uh, we resume the formal practice in the morning at 10 o'clock, uh, it is very beneficial to do some sort of exercise because of the amount of sitting that we do and also to keep the, uh, the chi, the energy, moving freely in the body. And so I have asked Russell, uh, is Russell here? Uh, Russell is a, is a very wonderful Qigong teacher and I'm not act- actually... Uh, asking him to give you Qigong lessons because that would take more time than we have. But I have asked him if he would please lead us each morning in uh, about a half an hour of exercises just to get that energy moving and to keep our bodies in good condition so that so that they serve as, as the best vehicle for our minds and the rest of our practice. Now, nobody's obliged to participate in that, if you uh, you know if you don't want to, or if you have some other kind of movement or exercise that you'd like to do instead, then by all means, you know that that's fine. But uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to have somebody who is uh, is is very skilled to uh, lead us through some 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 simple beautiful movements that just help to get that energy flowing and make the rest of the day better. It's also good to get things moving in our bodies after we've had a meal anyway. So, And then there will be the interviews after that. Now, in that period in the morning, from 10 o'clock to noon, uh, it's divided up into half-hour intervals. And so rather than everybody necessarily sitting at the same time and walking at the, t- at the same time, there will be a bell that rings every half-hour. And at that bell, you have the choice. If you have been sitting, you can continue to sit for another half hour. Or if you've been walking, you can continue to walk for another half hour. Or if you've been walking, you may take that opportunity to change and do, do sitting for the next session or vice versa. So uh, in those two hours, uh, every half hour interval, you decide what's the most appropriate practice. Sometimes your sitting practice will be going very well, and you may want to sit through one, two, three of those half-hour sessions, or uh, or four of them. Please feel free; go right ahead. On the other hand, it may seem uh, walking may seem more appropriate, and, and, and do that. But do practice. Now, it is during that time that the uh, that we'll do the interviews. We'll be doing interviews. In, inside the house, just in the uh, in the main living room, so it's just to the left as you enter the door. And there is a, a schedule that's posted for that, so you can check uh, what time your name is. And so you would want to uh, uh, be available when your interview time starts, and then of course for the rest of, for for the balance of that half hour session, whether your, your interview is in the first or the latter half of the half-hour session, of course, you would do walking meditation. I do ask that you please 
don't enter and leave the meditation hall except at those times when the bell rings so that you don't disturb other people. Unless, of course, there's an emergency. Sometimes something comes up, uh, an urgent bodily function or something, and, and, and of course, you know, you if you need to. But as much as possible so you don't, so that you don't disturb other people. Uh, just come and go on those intervals. Um, the same, the same thing throughout. And at noon, uh, we'll have uh, some time. But I'll answer questions about practice in the group. Uh, give you further instructions in the practice. Uh, and uh, whatever uh, the, the main focus of our getting together that time of day is the practice. We give you more instructions and you ask them questions. Okay? Now inevitably there's some over, overflow between strictly things that strictly involve practice and the Dharma in general, and that's all right. That's the main focus of our, uh, of our session together at uh, uh, noon, before lunch. Um, we'll have lunch then uh, at one o'clock. And then at 2.30, we'll resume formal practice, uh, sitting for 45 minutes, alternated with walking for half an hour. And that will go on until uh, 5.45. We'll take another break for a very light evening meal until 7. When we get together at 7, uh, I'll do a Dharma talk and answer questions about the about the Dharma, and um, quite honestly, the way I am, I do best when I'm answering when I'm responding to questions. So at that time, you know, ask questions about the Dharma, and you'll get me going, and that's the way uh, we'll we'll all have the most productive time together. So. Then we'll finish the day up with a, uh, after the Dharma talk, we'll just do a very short walking practice, really an opportunity for you to stretch, you know, go to the washroom, anything like that. And then we'll do our last formal sitting of the day and we'll end at night. Some of you may wish to continue sitting after that, and please do. For that matter, some of you, uh, as the week goes on, you may find that you'd like to get up earlier and start sitting before the first formal sit at 6.30 in the morning. And please feel free to do that as well. Um, it is not at all unusual that uh, as, as the retreat progresses, you find that you don't need to sleep as much. And if you find that you, you don't need to sleep as much, then the best thing to do is to continue your formal practice. Now, if, uh, if you're not doing formal practice, then continue to practice uh, uninterrupted awareness of all of the activities of your body and mind, so that you are, in fact, practicing the entire time. Any questions about the schedule, the daily schedule of the retreat? No? Okay, good. Now, the way that this schedule is going to be carried out or kept is, is using bells. Now, uh, there's a large bell outside 
that you saw as you came in. And uh, actually, I'm going to ask people to uh, sign up to take responsibility to ringing to ring that bell uh, at certain times each day. So there's ten times during the day when we need to ring that outside bell. That's so that if somebody's out walking or after a meal period or something like that, it uh, makes everyone aware that it's time to come into the meditation hall. And so the outside bell is usually rung five minutes before the sit begins. And so there's this sheet here, and you can... um, There's more of you than there are times that the bell needs to be rung, so not everyone will necessarily have to do it. And some of you may really enjoy ringing the bell, I was on the bell. So, you know, if you want to sign up for more than one time, I, I doubt that anyone else would mind that. So, so please go ahead. For the outside bill, uh, there, is a, there is a large wooden beater. It's red. Uh, the bell makes the loudest and clearest sound if you strike it right on the edge at the top. And go ahead and give it a good... Uh, strong uh, strike and ring that bell three times so that people who are out doing walking practice know that it's time to come in here Okay, and so we'll just pass this around and and you can sign up to uh, ring the bell now the other times like that will mark the beginning of the set but we'll mark the end of the set and what will mark the half-hour intervals uh, uh, during the morning is this uh, little device here that it will just automatically ring the bell at the times that are indicated on the schedule. So nobody has to worry about it. At the last retreat, I had, I had to ask people to ring this bell, and people were happy to do it. But what you sometimes find is you're having a very good meditation and you really don't want to interrupt your meditation to ring the bell and then you find yourself thinking, well, I wish I hadn't, wish I hadn't signed up to ring that. So, but this, this is a wonderful little device. It makes a very nice uh, uh, gong-like sound that will mark the intervals and it takes care of itself. So you don't need to worry about that at all. It'll just be here and do its thing. Uh, for those ringing the outside bell, uh, if you don't have a, a watch or anything, don't worry about that because this timer, this timer will go automatically over and over again every day. And at each of the times that's uh, indicated on the schedule, it will vibrate. So what we'll do is uh, we'll leave it out there by the timer and then Say, for example, you're supposed to ring the outside bell at 11.55. That's the next time it's supposed to be rung. And you're doing a walking meditation. You can just pick this up and you can put it in your pocket or you could attach it to your pocket. And then when it vibrates, you know it's time to come and and ring the bell. Okay? And then after you've done that, you can just leave this timer beside the bell so the next person who's... Uh, supposed to ring it can come and pick it up and use it. And you don't need to do anything to this. It's set already to automatically vibrate at the right time each day. Uh, the only thing that might happen is if the batteries go dead and it stops working, then 
let me know and I'll replace the bad user and reset it. Okay? So that's how we'll manage to follow the schedule. Any questions about any of that? All right. Well then, let us, let's formally begin the retreat by paying homage to the Buddha and three refuges and taking uh, ten precepts. These are the, the five usual precepts that you're familiar with. And there's five, uh, and then five additional precepts that uh, have been that were uh, based on something that was developed by my teacher as being particularly suitable for lay people to be uh, keeping in their lives. Now, uh, I'm going to, uh, except for the last of the five precepts, I'll chant this in the Pali. And then uh, please feel free to respond in the, if, you, if you know the polity and you would like to, please feel free to uh, uh, And uh, I, as a matter of fact, what I'll do is I'll chant it first and then I'll chant it in a slightly quieter voice uh, a second time so that you can, can join me with it. Are you ready? Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasam buddhasa Buddham saranam gachami Dhamam saranam gachami Sanham saranam gachami Dutyanti Buddham Saranga Chami Dutyanti Dhamma Saranga Chami Dutyanti Saranam Saranga Chami Tatyanti Buddham Saranga Chami Tatyanti Dhamma Saranga Chami Tatyanti Sangham Saranga Chami This completes the going to the three refuges.
you, on the copy that everyone has, does it have the Pali language for the precept? No. No? Okay. I'll do it in the Pali and you can do it, and then we'll do it in English. And if you know the Pali, of course you can. Panyati Pada Ramini Sikapadam Samadhi Ami. I undertake the precept to refrain from harming or destroying living beings. Adina Dana Ramini Sikapadam Samadhi Ami. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. Kamesu Nichachara Varamini Sikapadam Samadhi Ami. I undertake the precept to refrain from sexual misconduct. Musavada Varamini Sikapadam Samadhi Ami. I undertake the precept to refrain from wrong speech. Sura Rea Maja Paratana Brahmini Sikapadam Samadhi Ami. I undertake the precept to refrain from intoxicants that cause carelessness. I undertake the precept to refrain from sources of livelihood that bring harm to other beings. I undertake the precept to refrain from acting out of ill will or taking satisfaction in the misfortune of others. I undertake the precept to be open-hearted and generous in all my relationships with others. I undertake the precept to act with loving-kindness and compassion in all my relationships with others. I undertake the precept to live with mindfulness and follow the Eightfold Path through daily study, meditation, and reflection. With these ten precepts, virtue becomes the vehicle for a happy existence. Through virtue, good fortune is attained. Virtue is the vehicle for liberation. Let us purify our virtue. This completes the ten precepts. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from ill will. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings make themselves truly happy. And we will repeat this each evening. So, let's talk about the practice. Now, of course, uh, there are many different practices, and some of you, uh, some of you, I'm sure, are doing practices that may be somewhat different than what I'm going to teach you. What I'm going to ask you to do is to follow my instructions and uh, to do the practice the way that I set it out for you. And then in your interviews, 
if you if you have a reason why that you uh, if, if you want to discuss with me modifying that practice in some way or doing some other kind of practice that you're familiar with uh, we'll talk about it then I don't necessarily have a problem with that but I think that that you'll probably get the greatest benefit out of this retreat if you do if you follow my instructions uh, that way I will be able to uh, provide the most assistance to you in your practice and of course your practice will be most consistent with everyone else's and when we're having the, the discussion of the practice each day uh, it will be most relevant. So in any kind of meditation practice what we're doing is we're cultivating uh, the mind in a particular way. In what particular way? We are disciplining the mind such that we can place the attention on anything that we choose and the mind will rest on that object for so long as we choose. That's continuity of attention. Also, that our attention to that object be unwavering. Uh, not that we are attending to the object, but our mind is also uh, drifting back and forth to other things simultaneously. But rather that we focus in on that object, or say for example, the tips of my fingers represent the meditation object. That the continuity of attention that I meant is that we stay with that object uninterruptedly. But the other aspect of this is that we have control over the movement of the attention and the focus of the mind. So I could look at my fingertips and uh, sometimes be more or less aware of uh, other things that are in my visual field. Right? Uh, likewise, my eyes could just briefly, you know, uh, staying primarily with looking at my fingertips, but be briefly looking to one side or another. The, the scope of my focus could be very, very tight and small, or it could be broad and, and general. Now, the other uh, uh, faculty of the mind that we're trying to cultivate, in addition to continuity of attention, is to be able to control the uh, scope of our awareness and the steadiness of it. So that using the example of looking at the tips of my fingers with my eyes, that whether I look only at a small area or whether I'm simultaneously focusing on a larger area is intentional. It's not happening by itself. It's not changing by itself. And that unless I choose to share my attention on, my, on the meditation object with other things, that as just as my gaze remains fixed on my fingers, so likewise my attention remains fixed on the object. And that's what, uh, that's a, uh, we can describe that as single-pointedness of mind. Another way of describing that is unification of mind. One of the things that you'll notice in the process of meditation is that your mind is not one thing. It's not a single process, although we tend to think of it that way and imagine it that way. 
when you start meditating, there's many different processes taking place. And, of course, you'll find that even while you're attending to the meditation object, you're also aware of sounds and sensations in your body and there are thoughts and feelings arising and passing away. And you can continue to be aware of the meditation object just as you can continue to look at your fingertips. But your, your uh, attention can still be moving all about. Part of how that happens if you pay attention, is you'll realize that there's a separate process. There's a part of your mind that is basically listening to things. And when sounds seem important, those sounds come into your conscious awareness. There's there's a part of your mind that's attending to sensations in your body. And when those sensations seem important to that part of your mind, then you become aware of them. And there's a part of your mind that's actually always thinking about things. Uh, And so different thoughts come into your mind. You'll suddenly remember something, or you'll think of something, or you'll have an image come into your mind. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from that mental process was taking place. And what's happened is that's come into your conscious awareness. So in a sense, the the, uh, single-pointedness of mind that we talk about is a result of all of these different mental processes being trained to come together so that your mind becomes unified. So that that the part of your mind that's thinking is directed uh, towards the meditation object. The part of your mind that's hearing uh, is focused on the meditation object. The parts of your mind that might be leading you in all these different directions, are all coming into alignment together. Like if you can imagine, uh, you know, uh, you're trying to control a herd of horses and they're all trying to run in different directions. You want to get them all going in the same direction at the same time. And that's where you experience the unification of mind. Now both of these things are, they're all about concentration. The, the word that we commonly use, concentration, refers to the ability to keep our attention on the same object, and it refers to the uh, ability to control the, the level of focus and distraction. And so that's, that's concentration. So that's one, one aspect of, of the way that our mind works, that we're training, that we're cultivating. The other has to do with the quality of our awareness. Sometimes you are very vividly aware of what you're attending to. And other times you're only vaguely aware of what you're attending to. The mind is in a very relaxed uh, uh, and not very intent state. You know what I mean? So we have the quality of our conscious awareness. Uh, Actually, you could think of it as, as, as covering a broad spectrum at one end, you go to sleep. The quality of your awareness becomes so weak, so faint, so insubstantial that you actually just go right to sleep. At the other extreme is something that you're familiar with to different degrees in different circumstances, but um, when something very interesting is taking place, you're 
very aware of it. You're not only focused on it, you not only have concentration on it, but you're very aware of the detail. If you were in a, a dangerous situation, you would be extremely aware of every detail of what's going on around you because uh, of the threat that, uh, is, uh, that the circumstances you're in might pose to you, right? And perhaps you've had that experience of being, being very, very acutely aware, so aware that it seems that time just slows down. And so that's the other extreme. So you're normally in our everyday lives, we're going around in a state where uh, we're not asleep, but we're not fully alert and awake either. So one of the things that we want to cultivate in our meditation is to sustain a high level of alert awareness. Very relaxed, very focused, very concentrated, but not losing any of that intensity. And that which we are observing, the meditation object that we're observing, we want to have a maximum of vividness and intensity of that perception. To start off with, what we experience is as our concentration improves, the mind tends to become more and more relaxed and we, and, and we become more dull and the appearance of the meditation object becomes less vivid and less intense and more vague. We want to notice when that happens and we want to bring it up to at least the same level of intensity and vividness that we began with. Actually, as the practice goes on, we want to increase the quality of our awareness. We want to increase it more and more so that uh, that we are actually becoming more fully aware than we normally are, cultivating a very high level of conscious awareness. So these these are the two the, the two general properties of the mind that we're consciously cultivating. One is concentration consisting of both continuity of attention on the same object and also uh, control of the, the, uh, the single-pointedness and the unification of the mind. The other is a very high level of awareness, very much aware of what it is that we're attending to in great detail. We practice, we develop that by becoming very, very aware of the meditation object and its details. That actually helps us in our concentration. These work together. But the more completely we can engage in the meditation object, the, uh, the more we can overcome the tendency of the mind to forget the meditation object, to wander away, to drift around to other things. So these work together. But there is another very important aspect to this awareness. In terms of our conscious awareness, it can either be focused on something that is essentially external to to the process of awareness itself, or external to the mind. In other words, it's an object. I can... I can examine this object with, with great intensity and I, I can see, I can observe carefully every detail of it. 
That's object-oriented. And if you take the sensations of the breath as a meditation object, you can examine them so that you see exactly when the in-breath begins and exactly when it ends, and you can see three, four, five, six, seven, eight different sensations that occur between the beginning of the in-breath and the end of the in-breath. And so this would be an example of a very high level of awareness of the meditation object. But we're still, this is something external to the mind's process itself. What we want to do is we want to apply that same awareness as we cultivate it to the mind so that we're aware of what the mind is doing in the moment. In other words, when we are observing the sensations of the breath and we are observing the, uh, uh, all of these details of the sensations, that we know that we're doing that. You know what the mind is doing in the moment. If there's dullness present, you know that there's dullness. You know that your perception of this in-breath is more vague than the last one. Or if it's more sharp and clear, you know that it's more sharp and clear. If there are distractions present in your mind at the same time, you know that the mind is being drawn towards this distraction very strongly, and perhaps not so strongly towards other distractions. You see what I'm saying? You know what's going on in the mind? Question about this? This is, this is taking that same awareness that's applied to this and applying it to what's taking place in your mind. But at the same time, this develops gradually. You see, you, you begin in your practice, and say, I'm going to attend to the meditation object, and then you forget the meditation object and the mind is wandering. But at some point you become aware of what the mind is doing. That's that introspective awareness. It will happen spontaneously. And you will suddenly realize that I'm thinking about lunch. I'm not observing the meditation object, right? Or whatever it happens to be. But that's really important. That's wonderful. What you're experiencing in that experiencing in that moment is that introspective awareness. You know what your mind is doing, and I know you've all had that experience. You've all meditated before, so you know what it's like. Is it not like waking up when your mind has been wandering and you suddenly realize that it has? It's it's a kind of waking up, right? And that's what you want. You want to come into that very wakeful, alert, aware state. And so that's the other aspect of uh, awareness that we are are trying to cultivate in our meditation practice. So what will happen initially, you will periodically become aware that, for example, your mind has wandered. Or you will periodically become aware that there are a lot of distractions and it's difficult to remain with the meditation object. Or you will from time to time become aware that your mind is sinking into a state of dullness and that you need to bring it back to alertness. This will come to be more and more continuous though, so that it's not just something that happens from time to time, not just something that's happening periodically, where you want to go the direction you want to move and it will develop spontaneously by itself but you can train and encourage it to happen more quickly, 
is that while you are observing the meditation object, while you're observing the sensations of the breath, you are aware moment to moment of the tendency to distraction as it arises, which of course means that the distraction won't actually happen. Or you'll become aware of the tendency to dullness as it arises, and you will immediately correct for it. And then the quality of your concentration and quality of your awareness becomes quite profound. So that's that's the direction that we're going with the awareness part of it. But it starts off just, you know, you're looking at, you're observing the sensations of the breath, and as your mind starts to become steady, it also begins to relax too much and they start to become vague and unclear. And so then you bring that back up until a high level of mental awareness becomes natural and spontaneous to you. So this is the training of the mind that we're doing in meditation. We're developing concentration and mindful awareness. Any questions about that? No? Wonderful. You're all experienced practitioners and so you, you understand these concepts and these principles very well. That's Just good. understand, but it's difficult to do it. Yes. And that's, that's really what we're trying. That's why let's, I want to get the understanding in place so that all of our effort goes into bringing ourselves to that point, to, to making, that, making that happen. And I'll just point out to you that you can't force your mind to do this. You cannot make your mind concentrate. Some people think they can. Okay, I can sit down, I'm going to make my mind concentrate. You can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. And you could sit down every day for a thousand years and try to force your mind, and it won't happen. Because it's an illusion that your mind is one thing. It's many processes. And it's also an illusion that there is some kind of self that's in control. That's just not what's really happening. And so if you believe that that's what's happening, you'll be conducting a, a process that is doomed to failure. But the mind, the human mind is incredibly trainable. We know that. How we can be trained and conditioned so easily, so readily. So really what we're doing is we're training the mind. We're conditioning the mind. We are actually in our practice creating the condition for the mind to develop the habit of concentration and the habit of mindful awareness. And one of the things this does is it takes a lot of the burden off of us. We don't feel like we have to exert a tremendous effort to force our mind to behave because it's not going to work anyway. What we do is we keep conditioning the mind and then the conditioning takes an effect and then we get to enjoy the result. So I'll go into more of that as we explain how the training goes. When you were saying about bringing the mind back, uh, wandering mind back, uh, very often you said it as if this is a moment that you should be very happy. Yes. Very often I would just say, wow, you did this again. It's like... Yeah. And that's... See, that's naturally what we do. And that's a, that's our self being responsible. And, and it's also our self deciding that we've succeeded or failed. It's the same habits that we have of thinking that I'm in charge of my mind. 
Okay, and then when my mind doesn't do what I want, you're, you're either blaming your mind, bad mind, or you're blaming yourself. Oh, I'm not good enough. <laughs> exactly. I, find it, I, I know this is not something I should be doing, but uh, because I listened to your tape before, I know you, 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 you made a comment that you should feel that this is wonderful that I Yes. You but wonder, I find it very difficult to do. Yes, you want to focus on the right thing. It's not wonderful that the mind wandered. It's wonderful that after it had been wandering for a while, you you woke up, you you realized, you came into awareness. That's what's wonderful. And um, you see, if you think about it, you had no control over that. It's something that you, your mind was wandering. Might have wandered for. 10 seconds or 10 minutes, you know, and it was going from one thought to another thought, and so on and so on. That realization that came that said, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about this or that instead of meditating. You didn't make that happen. That came from somewhere else. That's all of a sudden, there it is. Oh, you're awake. So, if you focus on, if you focus on the mind wandering, and you get angry with yourself. Oh, it happened again. That's not going to help. The reason that's not going to help is the what your mind, what caused the mind wandering, is something that's normal and good and healthy. When you are in the world, living your life, you have a limited capacity for what you can pay attention to. And so in order for you to survive in the world, in order for you to be able to successfully accomplish the things that you do, the amount of attention and awareness you have needs to be dedicated to those things that are most important. So as we live our lives normally, the normal healthy behavior for the mind is as soon as the one thing that you're attending to is no longer that important, is to look to see if there's something else more important to pay attention to. And so when you sit down and meditate, your mind continues the same behavior. And normally, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to do, because once you've sufficiently attended to this, there's probably several other things that need your attention. And so the, be- the best way to be successful in the world is to have a mind that, that doesn't dwell on things beyond the point that's reasonable and then immediately goes and attends to the other thing. But we have the capacity to concentrate and we have the capacity to intentionally control the degree to which we attend things. And that's what we're trying to train. Now, so we have a mind that it was just doing what it's supposed to do. The sensations of the breath weren't interesting, and there's all kinds of other important things in your life. So your mind went and started thinking about something that was important. Now, if you become angry at yourself, if you're punishing that part of your mind that's doing its job that it's supposed to, it's not going to produce a very good result. On the other hand, there is another part of your mind that's paying attention to what's going on in the mind itself. And it says, hey, wait a minute, we're supposed to be 
meditating on the sensations of the breath. Instead, we're we're uh, thinking about this meeting that we're going to have this afternoon. You know. Now that's this is this is another part of the mind, and it's a wonderful part of the mind, and it's it's there too. You know, it, it's always doing its job, uh, checking in every now and then to make sure that uh, basically what that part of the mind is doing is just looking and saying, okay, what are we doing right now? Why are we doing it? Is this something we're supposed to be doing or not? And that's also a very good, normal part of our mind. So we've got two natural mental processes. And what we're trying to do is to train them so that one becomes much much more active whenever we sit down to meditate, and the other takes a break, relaxes and stops uh, chasing after all kinds of things. So instead of becoming angry at the one, what we do is we reward the other. We feel satisfaction with the other, which is easy to do, because uh, for several reasons. When you, as I said, if you pay attention to what it feels like, to become aware in the moment, it feels good. It's a, it's a being awake, alert. We have been kind of lost uh, in the thought. There was there's sort of a, a, a lostness, a deadness, a, 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 a dullness associated with that. And you've moved into a higher state of consciousness and awareness. So it actually feels good anyway. It feels good to wake up. And so, all you have to do, really, is to enjoy that. Enjoy the fact that you've moved from a space of lostness to a space of alert awareness. That will have the effect of conditioning your mind to do that more often. So over time, over time, it happens more quickly. If your mind wanders, you'll notice more quickly that the mind is wandering. That that spontaneous awareness will uh, arise and, and bring you back more quickly. So that you go from in the early stages of the practice where your mind might wander for for several minutes. Now it only wanders for a few seconds before you become aware of it and you come back. But ultimately, it'll come to the point where your mind doesn't wander at all because as soon as your attention become, begins to drift, you'll become aware of it and you'll, you'll make the correction for it. But what you want to do is to enjoy and savor, be happy about that awareness. When, when the right result occurs, feel good about it and the right result will happen more often. And you, you don't need to become angry with yourself about the, about the other process because that will take care of itself too in time. Uh, what yeah. if the right result? I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not so sure if I can catch that. The, the desired result? The, the right result. Although the which? You said when the right result coming, so and I want you to do the meditation. I, I don't know what is the right result. The right result of the meditation. Well, right now I was just speaking strictly in terms of the, the, the desired result. The, the right result is that you become, that you are aware anytime your mind begins to do 
something that is not what you intended to do, that you become aware of it as soon as possible. That's that's the desired result in terms of the training. Okay. So actually, you can you still can let your your thought, your mind thinking, or for example, like uh, I had a fight with somebody in the morning. So I I still can think about that thing. But the difference is. Um, um, I wear, I'm wearing, you know, what I'm thinking and uh, I'm watching yeah. what I felt. Yes, you're, well, you're aware that you're thinking and and you're aware that you're thinking uh, of the fight you had with somebody else rather than attending to the meditation object, which is what you originally mm-hmm. intended to do. That's what that's what you want to have because normally what happens is you're just thinking about the fight you had with somebody and you're lost in that memory and you're lost in the thoughts of well I should have said this and they shouldn't have said that you know and and you're completely lost so it's totally different to know that oh I I have this thoughts in my mind and it keeps coming back and it's not what I intend to do because once you have then you can. If what happens then, of course, you know, is you you look at this thought about the fight that you had, and when you look at it objectively, then uh, and, and you're no longer lost in it, you're aware of it. It doesn't have the power to hold you. You can let go of it, and then you can go back to the meditation object. Now, it may be that 30 seconds or a minute later, the thought comes back again, and that's all right. That's, a, I, I, that's all right in the sense that as long as, as soon as you recognize that the thoughts come back again, that you do the same thing. You come into a state of awareness, you look at it and say, oh, there it is again, and let go of it again, and you go back. And you don't have to feel bad. It may be that your entire meditation, the same thought keeps coming back. And that doesn't matter. All that matters is that every time it did, you became aware when you let go of it and you brought your attention back. Because you're training the mind in this way. And if you, you think about the fight, you become aware of it, and you feel good about, oh, good, all right, I noticed it again, and now I let go of it, feel good about letting go of it, and, and coming back. But also, too, with that awareness, you know, you, you, you can come back to the breath, and you can, you can, you, you know that that thought's going to, that thought has come back already a number of times, you know it's probably going to come back again. So, you can try to catch it before it catches you. You know what I mean? No. Well, because, you see, when you're paying attention to the sensations of the breath, there are other thoughts present. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so all your, uh, but you know this is the one that's going to carry you away. A lot of those thoughts they're present, you just ignore them, you just continue to observe the sensations of the breath, and those thoughts, you know, they come and you're kind of aware of them and they go, but you don't let them carry you away. But now the difference is you're watchful. When that thought comes, you're going to notice it and you're not going to let it carry you away either. And in that way, you see, you're, you're, you're training the mind, you're conditioning like you are alert. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You're, yeah, and so it's not, uh, it's not a, the, the success of meditation isn't that you succeed in 
not thinking about the argument. The success in meditation is that every time you realize that you are thinking about the argument again, that you reinforce that awareness, you let go of the thought, and you come back. Because that's what will eventually bring you to the place where uh, those kinds of, of mental distractions have no power over you anymore. Is um, that also something applied that um, when when you is that meditation object and uh, my wandering like uh, in the background, you know, the same that happen in the same time simultaneously, and you're fully aware both sides, okay? But at that time, it's still uh, even though fully aware that, and but still the background part trying to bring back to the with the just let the background disappear and back to that. So so system. So what do I, I mean, I mean the the awareness. I, I a little bit. The question is that you say the mental state is right, mm-hmm. and uh, you talk about is pretty much that uh, the mental state carry away from the thoughts. Yeah. But if that's the situation, is you fully aware there has a, a, a thoughts wandering, mm-hmm. but you also fully aware is the object and the, those wandering pretty much that background in this kind of situation in practice is the, still the same just say mm-hmm. yes well because both sides is very very clear they yes. are still yes. you know you just watch that happen in the same mm-hmm. the different track in the same parallel that so so my question is that when that things happen then what's the the, the mind you know, focus on. When you have both things going on in your mind, a, a good, good question. And it's actually the same. You see, the, the situation she's talking about is you're still aware of the sensations of the breath because, you know, your practice is strong enough that you don't, you don't forget and get carried away. But the other thought's still there. It just, so both are there at the same time. And in that situation, you see, it's like, uh, a, a light can only be pointed at one thing at a time. It can illuminate two things at once. But the center of the, the focus is only going to be on one thing. So you have, for example, you have the argument and you have the meditation object. And you're not forgetting it, but they're both present. All you want to do then is to keep the focus on the meditation object. And every time, every time the focus shifts to the... Uh, to the argument or the thought, whatever the distraction is. Every time the focus shifts to the distraction and the awareness of the meditation object is in the background, you recognize it when that happens and you move it back. So it's it's the same thing. As soon as you recognize it happens, you bring it back. But as you probably, as I know that you've discovered, you can't just stop these kinds of thoughts. If you have a really strong thought, you can't just suppress it. It's going to keep coming back. And so if you recognize it's going to keep coming back, then instead of trying to make it go away, what you try to do is just not let it seize the the focal point of your attention. If it insists on being there, 
let it be there, but you insist that it stays in the background. Yeah, yeah. now I, I pretty much that thing happened, you know, or where the whole thing, and never be distracted with the thoughts, you know, and forgot that. But but something like still there. So so what I'm doing is become the aware of the whole thing and keeping watching. But I, I might from your talking I'm and wondering, you know, if I need to switch a little bit to say, okay, bring back, you know, even though that's just background, bring back. Just any any time your focus starts to shift away from the meditation object, bring it back. But the other thing to do is when you've got you you you'll have more than two things going on. You see, you'll have you'll have the thought that keeps coming back, and you'll have the meditation object. But then you'll have other things. You'll have a feeling of irritation that that thought won't go away. You know, or you'll you'll have different. You'll have thoughts, other kinds of thoughts, and other kinds of feelings. So. It's not just that there's two things, and so what you do, what you do is you just you let all these things be there. Mm-hmm. You just the the only thing that you do is to keep your focus on the meditation object while allowing those other things to to uh, be there. You just insist that you're not going to, you know, because what will happen if you look? If, and this is this is the wonderful thing about meditation because. All of the things that go wrong teach you something. So you have a thought that you can't get rid of, and you keep, and, and the irritation comes. And then what catches you, what ambushes you, what catches you by surprise, is you'll suddenly realize that you have forgotten the meditation object, and you didn't forget it because of that thought. You got lost in your irritation, or your criticism, or your thoughts about how maybe you should be meditating differently, or something else. See, you know, right? Isn't that what happens? <laughs> yeah, now you, you mentioned it, yeah. yeah, more than two, that's correct. Yeah. So still going back, is not just watch a whole thing, just going back. Well, it, it, it's, it's bringing back, allowing yourself to be aware of these other things, but with the idea of being, and, and this is a, the, uh, this, this is going, I'm getting into a lot more detail of the practice than I expected to on the first night. But if it's already with you, it's already with me. Okay. What you want to do is take these things by stages. And you don't need to be single-pointedly focused on your meditation object when you're at a stage where there's still a lot of awareness of a lot of other things. You know, it comes to become single-pointedly focused. That comes later. It's preceded by a stage where it's just not losing the meditation object is the primary goal. And the other, the, the other things that are going on, they have the potential to take you away from the meditation object. Sometimes the best way to deal with them, often the best way to deal with them, is to be on guard against them, which involves being aware of them to a certain degree. So in that regard, your, you, 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 your awareness is broad enough to know the different things that are competing for your attention. And you just make it your goal that any time one of them succeeds to start drawing the attention away, you just gently bring it back. Whatever it is, you just gently bring it back. And and try to uh, try to avoid any one of those things. What will happen if one of those things succeeds in pushing the meditation object into the background for long enough, 
after a while you'll forget the meditation object and then you'll then you'll be lost. So you're just you're in a situation where there's strong different strong mental tendencies competing with each other for your attention. And that's a good that's a good training arena. The longer that you can go with that going on and succeed in not being carried away, the the more you've succeeded in training the mind and the stronger your the stronger your attention will be in the future. So so uh, you deal with the situation that's going on in your mind at the moment. And it will change from time to time. One day your concentration is very strong and you're doing uh, a practice uh, in one particular way. Another day you have so many distractions in your mind, your mind is so active, that the focus of your practice is going to be different. It's, it's going to be just not getting carried away by one of those things. And so you can, you can adjust it uh, according to the needs or day by day. And as long as you do that, every day you succeed in, stra- in training the mind more and conditioning the mind more and, and, and so it becomes easier and easier to do in the future. Okay, what I want to do now is I want to shift to the other aspect. When I'm talking to you about meditation, I'll be talking to you about the training of the mind, the developing of concentration and mindful awareness. And that's a very important topic. But the other thing that I'll be talking to you about are the things that you discover while you're doing it. Because if we just look at what's the purpose of meditation, it's not just to have wonderful concentration and mindful awareness. Although those are those are good qualities to have, undoubtedly. Uh, but we have a much more important goal, which has to do with why do we want to have a mind where we can direct our attention and we can sustain our attention and we can examine what we're looking at with great mindfulness. It's so that we will gain insight into the way things really are. We want to we, we want not just this momentary awakening of coming into awareness of, of what we're doing in the moment. We want a complete and ultimate awakening that involves knowing and understanding things as they really are. And the fact that you're in this room means that you're probably already convinced that it's not through telescopes and electron microscopes examining something out there that you're going to come to know how things, things as they really are. It's, it's through understanding the mind and seeing what the mind does. How the mind is actually creating this reality that you live in. And how, how the way your experience of the world is different than anybody else's because of what your mind does. You want to come, you want to see how things really are. And right at the root of that is your mind and the way that your mind behaves. So from the very first time you sit down to meditate, you are not only training the mind, but you're also engaging in the process of discovering the true nature of reality and the way the mind actually works right from the beginning. You don't say, okay, once once I've established concentration and mindful awareness, 
then it's time to apply my concentration and mindful awareness to understanding the mind and the way things are and the way it works. It happens right from the very beginning. So I'll also be talking to you about the things that you want to become aware of. You know, and what I'll do is I'll point them out to you. You have to discover them for yourself. You have to satisfy yourself that in fact this is really what's going on. You know. But what I can do though is point out to you the things to notice. So we'll be training the mind in concentration and mindful awareness and we'll also be noticing things, discovering things, gaining insights that will lead us to uh, the ultimate uh, degree of understanding and, and the awakening that, that comes out of it. Um, so we'll go into this, we'll go into this, uh, we'll continue this, going into it more deeply at noon tomorrow. What I want to do now, is I've already, I've already uh, talked for quite a while, so I just want to go over the basic method so that between now and then, uh, you know how to do the practice. Uh, some of you may already be uh, familiar with this practice. As some of you I know you are, uh, but not everyone is, so let's go over it. The meditation object, that which we are going to always bring the attention back to, and that which we are going to begin by our, our development of awareness, by developing as vivid and clear an awareness of it as we can, that object is the sensation of the breath, not the breath, the sensation of the breath, okay? And uh, I highly recommend that you use the sensation that's produced as the air moves in and out of the nostrils. The other place in your body that uh, it's fairly easy to uh, observe the sensation of the breath is on the surface of the abdomen as the abdomen rises and falls. Uh, but I would like you to first try to use the uh, movement of the air in and out of the nostrils as the location of the sensation that, that you're going to use as your object. Now, there's a little bit of difference from person to person. Some people, the sensation is clearer on the upper lip. Others, it's just right around the opening of the nostrils. Some of it might be just inside the nostrils. And there's no right or wrong. You find the location where the sensations of the breath are clearest and focus your attention there. And also, the size of that area, uh, for some people it, it, it might be you know, a very small area, maybe a quarter of an inch in diameter. For other people it may be larger. It may in fact ex extend uh, to include a little bit of the upper lip and the opening of the nostrils and maybe a bit of the inside of the nose as well. It doesn't matter. That's not important. What, what's important is that as the air moves in and out of your nostrils that you can focus your attention on a particular location and clearly perceive the sensations that result. 
when I say it's not the breath, it's just the sensations, we're not trying to follow the breath into the body. We're just observing the sensations that are produced in a particular place as, as the air moves past, back and forth. Okay? Uh, an analogy is if you're cutting a piece of wood with a saw, where what you look at is the point where the teeth of the saw meet the board. You don't look at the part of the blade that's already gone through the wood or the part of the blade that hasn't come into it yet. You watch where the two come together. This is the same thing as the air is moving out. You're just observing the interaction of that air uh, at the skin. Now, when you observe those sensations, uh, you can observe them in their entirety. This is a breath. And of course the breath consists of an, uh, of an inhale and an uh, exhale. As you refine your attention a little bit, you become aware that, that there is a particular point in time where that inhalation begins. Likewise, there's a point in time where it ends and where the exhalation begins and where it ends. And so you try to identify those as clearly as possible. And what you'll find, of course, is the beginning of the inhalation is easy to spot. It's a nice, sharp, clear point. And the beginning of the exhalation is usually reasonably sharp and clear, but it's the end of the inhale and the end of the exhale that you'll have to work at to see those as clearly as the beginnings. But as soon as you start directing your attention to observing those sensations as clearly as possible, you'll find that your mind sharpens up. The acuity of your perception increases and they'll begin to emerge very clearly. You'll become aware that there's a little gap between the end of the uh, inhale and the beginning of the exhale. And there's another gap between the end of the exhale and the beginning of the inhale. As a matter of fact, you might become aware of that little gap first and that might help you to focus in on exactly when does the inhale end. Well, you know, once you're clear on that gap, you can, you can sort of focus your attention in and, and discover that. And then, um, as, you, as you continue to practice, you'll notice that it's not a, the inhalation is not a single sensation. It's a series of sensations that unfold. There's, there's that sudden sharpness of, of the air contacting the skin, which is initially cool. But as you continue to inhale, that cool air coming in, cools the skin a bit, and now the contrast is not so noticeable. Likewise, when you exhale, the air has been warmed in your lungs, and it's coming out warm. Uh, you'll, you'll see that it doesn't come out with the same force and the same speed from the beginning to the end, that it changes. You'll start to recognize that, well, there's a temperature sensation, and there's a movement sensation, and they're not the same. And Combined with those is, is a sensation of the, the pressure of the air, and that sometimes it's greater and sometimes it's less. So in other words, there's all kinds of things that you can notice about that, the, this, this, those sensations. This meditation object initially seems simple, but fortunately it's not. And this helps to keep us engaged, because as the tendency, you know, you, you say, okay, I'm going to observe the sensations of my breath. It doesn't take very many breaths before the mind says, well, I've seen all there is to see here. I'm ready, you know, let's get on and go do something more interesting. And so you challenge yourself to perceive 
those sensations with greater and greater clarity. That helps to keep you engaged and so the mind it, it doesn't wander quite as easily, doesn't lose the awareness quite as easily. Okay? Uh, and, and don't try to notice everything else. Work up to it. As, as you find that the perception of the sensations becomes really clear, then and, and if you feel the need, the, 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 the mind is not engaging as fully as anymore, the need to notice something more, then try to notice something more. But if you don't need to, don't bother. And of course, at some point, you, you, uh, there's a limit to this. You know, you don't need to notice 50 different sensations between the beginning of the inhalation and the end of the inhalation. And so it's not necessary. At some point, the training of the mind starts to pay off and the mind stays with the sensation. The other thing is these sensations become so familiar that, that the awareness of them becomes automatic. You know? When you start out, you're identifying each initial part of it. But you know, when you look at a human being, you don't have to think, oh, that's the head, that's the arm, that's the hand, and that's the leg. Because you've, you've seen human beings all your life. You look at a person and all you have is awareness of everything. After a while, that comes that way with the breath as well. But, but when, you, when you, you always want to have as clear an awareness as you can, and so in the process of developing that, and in the process of, of, of giving your mind a way to engage with the sensations of the breath so that it doesn't wander as easily, you start out looking for detail. And so go ahead and, and do that. Other things that you can notice is that, of course, the breath changes. The breath gets longer and the breath gets shorter. So you can, you can notice, oh, this, this breath is longer than the last one. This breath is shorter than the last one. You can notice whether the in-breath is longer or shorter than the than the out-breath, or vice versa. You can notice whether the pause between the in and the out-breath is longer or shorter than the pause between the out and the in-breath. You can also notice whether that changes. It might be that when you first sit down to meditate, the pause between the in and the out-breath is very short, and the pause at the end of each out-breath is very long, but after you've been sitting for a while, the breaths become very quiet and shallow, and now the pause after the in-breath is much longer. There's all kinds of things that you can notice. And the noticing serves these two purposes. One is to keep you engaged and to to lessen the tendency for your attention to wander elsewhere. And the other, this is very important, is to enhance and increase the vividness uh, and the intensity of your perception so that you're moving to a higher level of awareness rather than your mind doing what it's going to tend to want to do, which is, as the familiarity grows, your mind's going to want to sink into dullness and a more vague perception. Okay? They're just observing the sensations of the breath. That's, that's all this is about. Questions? Yeah? I have a question. When I do meditation, sometimes after a while, uh, it's, my mind is very quiet, and uh, the breathing is getting thinner and yes. thinner, and uh, um, it's into a stage that uh, I don't think that I'm uh, aware of 
or you just talk mm -hmm. about all kind of uh, sensation. Yeah. But it's become very thin, just a small area. But I'm focused on that yeah. very small area. And at the same time, that I feel like my whole body is filled up with all the electricity. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, 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 the breath is become very little, very, very, very yeah. thin. There's several things here. One is, yes, the breath becomes very, very fine and very subtle. Mm -hmm. And of course, as it does, there, there are not as many things to notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's my, my question. Yeah. Is, yeah. What, what should I do? Yeah. But usually by the time that happens, you're beyond the point. Uh, your, your, your awareness of it should be still very sharp and clear. Yes, the yes. Quality, it's there. It's yeah. stay there. It's the quality of your mental awareness that's important. But no longer all kind of sensation. That's right. There's fewer, there's, there's fewer sensations and they're not as strong. But as long as whatever is there, that you have the sense that you are fully aware of whatever is there. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's normal and that's the way it should be. Now the other thing that you said, when your concentration, when your mind becomes very focused and unified by it like this and your concentration becomes very good, one thing that often happens is your awareness just naturally expands. You may become aware of the breath in your entire body, keeping it Focus on one point in your nose may be, you know, you may just naturally have more awareness. If that happens, that's fine. Um, what you can do when that happens is, is, is to explore that and to train yourself in narrowing your focus down very tightly and, and expanding your focus. How to expand? Well. Uh, we'll talk about that. Just uh, I'll go into some more details in that when we have more more time. But is that necessary to make my focus bored, or I just stay with the very fine? You can stay with the fine focus, but there are certain advantages to learning to have a broader focus as well. And sometimes it will happen by itself. As a matter of fact. Uh, Almost always, there's some point where a person just finds naturally their awareness. Their awareness becomes so strong that they can become aware of their whole body with as much clarity as, as they could only become aware of the tip of their nose when they started out. You know. So and it we, will happen by itself? It will happen by itself, but I will also talk to you about cultivating that, ways of cultivating that. The other thing you mentioned is the feeling of and electricity yeah, and energy yes. in the body. Yeah. And that's also something that is, uh, it, that's a sign of a certain degree of concentration. It's an indication that you've achieved a certain degree of concentration. And it will actually produce some very specific kinds of results as, as you go along. So, uh, for the time being, we'll talk about if you have this experience in your meditation. We'll talk about this in the interview and we can talk about sure. this in here. But in the meantime, if you have those experiences immediately before we do talk, what I want you to do is just continue to meditate on the sensations. No matter, they're, they're very fine. Allow those electrical sensations to just be there. Just let them be there. Okay? And then we'll talk more about them later on. Okay? Uh, but that is a very good sign.
in terms of. But, but, but I have uh, one obstacle is uh, when that happened, I feel like uh, there's an energy pushing me. I'm kind of, uh, and at that point, I start to worry about, I may just fall down like this. Yeah, so I, I try to, at that moment, I moved because I want to make sure that I don't fall down. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I know that I got disturbed by myself. So what should I do? If um, tomorrow I okay. again. Yes, and that's another thing that's often a part of it. Yes, you feel you feel like you might be falling over. Yeah, it's a very strong mm-hmm. some energy pushing me. You know, I just very very briefly, deliberately check to see if your body is really moving or not. If your body has really shifted. Yes, I did a little yeah. bit, yeah. a little bit like. Yeah, like you just put your awareness in your body, and you can you can feel. What it's I can move right. I can move forward, yeah. and it will not break. But just just do it, just very briefly, and then just go back to the okay. concentration. You sometimes you may you might find the movements become much stronger, and we'll talk about that. You had a question. Uh, uh, I know my legs going to pain. You, legs your legs have pain, yes. Yeah, actually, that's my question, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, should we just maybe pain and observe and take the, the pain as a, an object? If it's really so powerful, I cannot concentrate the sensation of the breath. Or yes. The body? When, yes. The way to, just in brief, the way to deal with pain is number one, as long as you can disregard the pain and stay with the breath, do that. When the point comes that it is clear to you that this is such a strong distraction that the mind keeps going back to the pain, then you shift. Take the pain as the object. Okay? And there may be a strong temptation to move. And resist that as much as possible. I try to meditate on the pain. When you meditate on the pain, uh, sometimes what happens is it, it decreases. And if that happens, then go back to the breath. But um, with any, anything that comes that is so strong that you can't continue to stay on the breath, then what you do is you take that other thing as a meditation object. And in that way, your meditation is uninterrupted. Okay? Now, when you take pain as a meditation object, it's very important that you uh, investigate it Objectively, the same way you've been investigating the sensations of the breath, you've been trying to identify the different sensations that make it up. Normally, if we have a pain in the leg, our response is to identify with it. It's my pain, I hurt, my leg hurts. And to uh, experience the mind's reaction to that, well, I. I've got to move, I can't stand this, uh, if it goes on any longer, things like that. To meditate on pain means to, to look at it objectively. And so here are some, some things that you can do. Is You can set up to identify exactly how large it is. Uh, you can notice whether it expands or contracts it. You, you can identify it as to its type. Is it aching, burning, sharp, cutting, you know. And does that change? 
the intensity of the pain. Is it increasing, decreasing, alternately increasing or decreasing, fading? Is it moving from one place to another? In other words, investigate it as though you were going to make a report on it to somebody. You can go more deeply into that. What is the nature of pain? What is there about the sensation that my mind labels it as pain? So, should we take the whole leg as 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 an object as a whole, or we need to focus on the most painful part, say, uh, the joint or the muscle? Uh, I would suggest, uh, there's not a strictly correct answer one way or the other, but I would suggest initially that you uh, okay, so you have a pain, you have pain in your leg, and you say, "I'm going to take this as my meditation object." So you examine the leg and say, "Okay, where's the focus where the pain is most intense?" And then go to that and use that as the meditation object. Doing as I said, so is that is that pain increasing, decreasing? What kind is it? Is it moving around? And likewise, if it, what will very often happen is you. The place that you originally put your attention, uh, as, as you start observing it, it may cease to be all that painful, and there's some other place in your leg that's now more painful. When that's the case, you can move your attention to that. The idea is that the, the, the fundamental idea, you're training your mind so that your attention is where you intend it to be. And so, if your mind's going to go to the pain anyway, you intend it to go. And you don't let it move by itself. If, if you go from a pain in one part of your leg to a pain in another part of your leg, it should be due to your conscious, deliberate intention to shift the focus. Okay? Likewise, if you feel at some point that you have to move, notice that feeling that arises. Notice, okay, I have this really strong emotional feeling and I know that because of it, I'm going to move. So therefore, you know, rather than fight against it, you, you accept, I'm going to move, but the movement is going to be intentional. You decide when you're going to move, how you're going to move, and you do it very, very deliberately. You, okay, you know exactly what you're going to do. You've decided, I'm going to lift my knee, and I'm going to move it out a little bit. And then you observe the sensation while you do it. There's the intention. Then you observe how the sensation changes, and you may do that, and the pain's gone. So you notice that the pain is gone, and you go back to the breath. What I guarantee you, you'll find is a few minutes later, the pain comes back somewhere else. <laughs> but, but, yes, so you take the pain as the object. And, you know, I, I've given you a, a complicated, a rather complicated description, which I can simplify. In, in the case of meditating on the pain, what you're always avoiding is the normal way of thinking by which you identify with the pain and with the mind's reaction to it. What you do instead is as much as possible be objective, an objective investigator of the nature of the phenomena and likewise the nature of your mind's reaction to it. Like, uh, this is how my mind reacts to this sensation. So try our best and uh, observe the pain and try not to move the body. And is that we are going to hurt on the 
the separation of the path. Or you're, are you asking whether you're going to enter the lake? Are you going to hurt our body? Are you going to injure your body by not moving? Yeah. That's extremely unlikely. <laughs> uh, okay. Something else I should say, too, is that meditation is not about conquering pain. You will, you will be able to overcome pain through meditation in a wonderful way, but that's not its purpose. And so you should, you should adjust your meditation seat so that pain, so that you minimize the degree to which pain is a problem. Pain will always come up in, in sitting, and there's a certain stage in your meditation practice where pain will never ever be a problem again. But until you reach that stage, you're going to experience pain because when the body stays still, there's experience of pain. But find a way to sit that minimizes it. So if you need to put support under your knees or you need to adjust the way you sit, uh, some people find they need to sit in a chair. and It doesn't matter. Don't constantly change the way you sit, but experiment a bit. Find, find the way of sitting that produces the least pain. And if you do that, you're not going to injure yourself. People do injure themselves in, in meditation, but it's because somebody who's, they, they don't have flexibility in their joint, and they say to themselves, well, I'm going to meditate, and I'm going to sit in a full lotus, or I'm going to sit in a half lotus. <laughs> or, you know, even though I was in an accident, and my back is damaged, and they say I might need surgery, I'm going to sit cross-legged on the floor. I'm not going to sit on a chair. That's for rooms. Those are the people that injure themselves. Most, 99%, probably 99.9% of the pain that all people experience in meditation is totally harmless to the body. It's genuine pain, <laughs> but it doesn't produce any damage to the body. So you don't need to worry about that. But do make sure you're sitting in a way that doesn't aggravate some kind of injury or doesn't produce a stress on, on your body that it doesn't need to be there. But if you, it's an interesting thing. One, one of the reasons when you're sitting and dealing with pain, I've got pain, one of the ways that your mind uh, reacts is to, your mind's afraid of the body being damaged. And so you'll come to have these thoughts. Oh, if, if a meditation teacher says I, I shouldn't move, but you know, I'm sure if I don't move, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll probably never be able to walk again. Recognize that for what it is. One of the mind's job is to protect the body. So one of the mind, one of the things the mind does is to generate that kind of concern that oh, is this pain going to harm me? But you can be reassured that it most likely isn't. And so, so then you can practice the way you discussed. Um, now. As part of uh, uh, continuing the instruction, <clears throat> it is inevitable that no matter how much detail with which you strive to observe the uh, meditation object, that your mind, your your attention is going to tend to move to other things. Uh, Initially, what will happen is that you will forget the meditation object 
and your mind may wander around many different things, and then you'll recognize that this is occurring. Uh, and I've already explained to you, be glad that you've recognized that. And having woken up to the fact that your mind was wandering, gently bring your attention back to the meditation object. This is not about judgment and deciding whether you're, you're being a good meditator or not. What it's about is you, all you have to do in that stage of the practice is just do the same thing over and over again. You realize the mind has wandered, you feel good about it, you gently bring the attention back, and you try to engage as completely as you can with the meditation object. You don't worry about the fact that this is going to happen again. Let it happen over and over again as many times as it needs to happen. Because if you, if you keep feeling good about it when you recognize that the uh, attention has wandered, you'll, notice, you'll begin to notice it more quickly uh, and it will happen less often. If you uh, bring your attention back and, and, and try to engage as fully as you can in the observation of the meditation object, the periods which you, with, uh, when you stay engaged are going to become longer. You'll come to a point where there's very measurable improvement in your meditation practice in that now the periods when you don't lose a meditation object are very long. And when the mind wanders, it's just for very short periods of time and you catch it really quickly most of the time. So you can measure the improvement of your progress. Now, any time your attention stays on the meditation object for very long, you're going to become aware that it's not the only thing that you are aware of, but there's many other things present in your mind at the same time. Sounds, bodily sensations, thoughts and feelings, memories, emotions, all kinds of things. At this stage, or in this part of the practice, whenever you haven't lost the meditation object, but there are a lot of other things, and sometimes you'll have kind of a monkey mind where it's, like, it's a bur- constant barrage of one thought after another. But it doesn't matter. At this stage, all you need to do, all you, your goal is just to keep the focus of your attention. It's not to make these things go away. Let them be there. Keep the focus of your attention on the sensations of the breath. And any time the breath slips into the background and something else becomes the focus, you just bring it back again. In other words, it's the same kind of thing that you did with mind-wandering. The only difference is you haven't forgotten the meditation object. The mind moves to something else, but you haven't lost the meditation object. You realize that the mind has moved to something else, and, and you bring it back. The other thing that's going to happen is you're going to start experiencing dullness, sleepiness. This is the, as, soon as, as soon as your mind stays on the breath, for very long, ignoring the sounds, ignoring the sensations in your body, not being stimulated by things outside, your mind is going to do the same thing that it's done every night for your entire life. It's going to start going to sleep. <laughs> and so, and, and that's alright. You don't get mad at your mind for doing that. But what you do is you Wake your mind up, and I'll talk to you about some specific ways to, to do that uh, as, as it comes up for people as a problem. But 
it's the same thing that when your mind wanders, all you do is recognize it and bring it back. And you, you repeat it as often as necessary until the mind becomes trained not to do that anymore. When the mind tends to move away from the meditation object to something else without losing the object, you just keep bringing it back until the mind stops doing that anymore. Whenever you start to slip into sleepiness or dullness and you recognize it, you bring the mind back into wakeful alertness. And you repeat that as often as necessary until you've trained the mind not to do that anymore. So that's all you have to do. Okay. Learning to meditate is not something that should feel like hard work. It should feel very, very easy. Like, if you were learning to play darts, does anybody here ever throw throw darts at a target? Have you ever do that? Nobody ever did that? You did that? Sometimes. Right. Or there's, there's other kinds of games like that. But, you know, if you wanted to learn to play darts, what you would do is you would just keep throwing the darts. And you start off and most of them miss. And then you start to hit more often. But you just keep repeating it over and over again. And after a while, you don't make it happen, but your, your, uh, your, your hand-eye coordination, your muscles in your mind become trained. Until, until when you throw the dart, most of the time it lands where you want it to. And the same thing in meditation. You know, it's, it's not something that you force, that this should be hard and involve a lot of force and effort. If you repeat the right actions over and over again, you'll get the result. The training will take place. Um, and now I want to go over the walking meditation with you because we're going to be doing a lot of walking meditation as well. Walking meditation, wonderful meditation that uh, allows you to explore many dimensions of experience and can be done in many different ways. Um, we'll start with slow walking meditation. You can do a walking meditation that is very much like you're doing what you're doing when you're sitting and meditating on the sensations of the breath. So that you walk very slowly and you observe as carefully as you can all of the sensations in the soles of your feet. Now, in this case, the meditation object is the sole of one foot at a time. And so you observe the sensations as you lift the foot, as you move the foot, as you place the foot, and shift the weight. And then you shift the attention to the sole of the other foot. And you observe the sensations as you lift it, and move it, and place it, and shift the weight, and then the tension goes through the other foot. This is very important. When you're doing walking meditation, it's one foot at a time. Don't start lifting this foot up until this foot is completely placed. Normally when we walk, you see, before I finish this step, I've already started raising the other foot. So this is the one thing in, in walking meditation. It's one foot at a time, one step at a time. When that step is over with, then you do the next one. You can, you can examine those sensations in very great detail, like you can the sensations of the breath. 
you can divide the lifting of the foot into three different stages, a beginning, a middle, and a final stage. And each of those stages you can identify three or four different sensations that take place. The moving of the foot involves uh, a raising, the moving, and the lowering. And you can discern different sensations in the foot in all of those. And when you place the foot, this first part of the foot makes contact, and then more, and then weight shifts. You can examine that in great detail, and you'll see uh, uh, you see some people doing walking meditation, and you'll probably, I hope you'll be doing some of your walking meditation in a very slow way where you do that. You're just aware of all of these sensations, and they become very familiar after a while. It's easy to do. But that's not the only way that you can do walking meditation. Now, when you're doing walking meditation, how it's different than sitting, when you're doing that kind of walking meditation, how it's different from sitting is when your body's moving, so you don't have the same kind of pain to deal with. And the other, your eyes are open so you don't run into things. And so you're actually uh, training the mind to remain quite focused on one object while still performing other functions. But uh, the fact that you're, when we do the walk, doing the walking meditation outside, the fact that you'll be hearing sounds, your eyes are open, you'll be seeing things, you'll be feeling sensations on your skin. That can all become part of the meditation as well. And uh, so sometimes your attention will be very focused on your feet, but sometimes a better way to meditate is just allowing yourself to be aware of the greater variety of sensations. You can become aware of everything that's occurring in your uh, environment as you're walking. The speed with which you walk can vary. You, we can do lifting, 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 moving, 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 placing, 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 very slow. But you can also do lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing. Not so focused, not so rigorous, not so detailed, more relaxed. You can also do stepping, 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 stepping. Once again, not so focused. But all of these things, every way you meditate is uh, while walking is going to teach you different things. You'll notice that when you're walking more quickly, body take all, does all of these things automatically. When you're walking very slowly, you find that if your attention wavers even for an instant, you start to lose your balance. Very different. What does that teach you? Well, if you know what to look for, what that teaches you is that well, I think I'm in control of my body. I sort of imagine that all the time, no matter what I'm doing, I have this kind of control, lifting, 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 moving, moving, placing. But I obviously don't. Otherwise, how could I talk to you and walk around and you know, take something out of my pocket and wave at somebody? I'd never be able to. All this is happening automatically. So you can notice through the walking meditation that, that your, your body does all kinds of things on its own. And you can start to become aware of some of the things, where does the intention come from? Because your body doesn't do anything except through intention. Say, okay, I'm going to lift my foot. And I'm going to do it now. And that's the intention. But what happens when 
you're walking around, you're not even thinking about where you're putting your feet in the direction. Well, that's a past intention, right? I mean, at the very least, you have the intention not to trip over things. <laughs> and it's happening at a subconscious level. So you start to realize that there's all these different processes taking place. Some you're conscious of, and some you're not. As you explore the sensations when you're walking, see how the mind moves. See how the attention moves. You're walking along and there's a sound. And notice how your mind moves to the sound. Or some other sensation comes up. And one thing about the walking meditation, you can do it all of these different ways, but and, and all of them are correct meditation. The only way you can do walking meditation that's not correct is if you allow your mind to leave the present moment and the present place. Okay? So if you allow your mind to go into the past, or if you allow your mind to go into the future, or if you allow your mind to go somewhere else, you need to bring it back to the present moment. Walking meditation is always completely in the present moment. No matter whether you're doing a very focused meditation or a very open meditation, you always want to be aware of the present moment. And anytime you find, which you will, you'll find the same thing as sitting meditation, you find your mind wants to go all these other places. And what you'll be training yourself to do is to notice when that happens and always bring yourself back to the present. As long as you stay in the present moment, you're capable of discovering the nature of what's happening in the moment. Because that's where it's all happening is in, in the moment. Any questions about the walking meditation practice, the basic Basic practice, yes. Beginning with so why we were in sitting practicing versus walking meditation, uh, the intensity of the thought seems different, mm -hmm. very different. And uh, I believe that's because uh, also the under different setup. Because which? The I believe that because both of them are under different setup. Yes. So. It is the same. We use the same technique as meditation technique to deal with both the two different skill, or this would be the same because we have different intensity of the thought power. Yeah, the 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 methods that you're using are basically the same in the both in both, but what you're doing is uh, you're training the mind. In, in two very different kinds of circumstances, so that that that's uh, that's what you're experiencing is is when you're sitting in, in a very closed as a, as opposed to walking, moving, hearing, exposed to many stimuli, that the the way the mind reacts is, is different. But what you're what you're the, the way that you're trained, the method of training is exactly the same for both. But I feel uh, the intensity is stronger when I'm doing the uh, walking meditation than dealing with the thought. Mm -hmm. It's more powerful than I'm, I feel easier when I'm in sitting meditation to deal with the, the thought. Yes. Is that normal? That's, uh, yes, that's, that, that's... Any other questions about... Yes. 
you know, in the early morning, I, I like to walk faster in order to get myself wake up. So when I walk very fast, is that okay? I still doing this walking meditation or that's exercise? It's no when, longer walking meditation. When, are, are you talking like, like you know, real fast walking? Not like that, but uh, faster than than mm. the slower. That faster. It's, it sounds like you may be uh, you may be in, inclined to do something that's more of an exercise. <clears throat> the it, it depends on the degree of concentration and awareness that you've already developed. If you have already practiced a lot of concentration and awareness, then you can walk more quickly uh, and and still sustain a very high level of. Of awareness, but if you understand what I'm saying about as long as you're completely in the present moment, if you're focused on the sensations of the walking, then it's still you know you're still you're still doing the practice. But chances are that the faster you walk, the the less you'll truly be uh, you. you you see, there's certain circumstances where uh, the mind is less inclined to uh, to uh, take other objects and think about other things anyway. And running, walking, things like that, uh, you can get into a very uh, into a space where your mind is, is is kind of focused and still and doesn't tend to go anywhere else anyway. And that's all right. You're using you're using the physical activity to help focus the mind, and that's that's fine. In terms of maximizing the training of your mind, though, uh, you probably want to walk more slowly. So, in the mor- in the in the morning, we do a 15 minute walk between is it 15 minutes or half an hour? Yeah, it's just 15 minutes between the two sits each morning. So, what I would suggest, if you want to do fast walking for 15 minutes being careful not to disturb anybody else, that's no problem. But during most of the day, do a slower practice and co- so that you have the opportunity to maximally train the mind and especially to explore what's happening in your mind and your body. You know, because this, this is a really important part of it is to see, you know, I tell my mind to do this and this is how my mind reacts to it, you know. Uh, in this act, this is the relationship of my mind and body in this kind of activity, and so going more slowly is much more conducive to that kind of observation. So, 15 minutes fast walking in the morning, no problem. But let most of your walking be slower. Then my 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 continual question is: if uh, uh, through my uh, practice, if sometimes I feel sleepy. Is that okay if I do very quick walk for two or three minutes? Will that break my uh, uh, concentration? No, that's that is one of the techniques. Uh, we usually wouldn't get up from sitting to walk unless the the sleepiness was very strong. But that is one of the techniques that I suggest people to do if they, you know, if they've tried the other methods. That I will go with you some other methods for dealing with dullness and drowsiness, but I suggest that to people. Yeah, if you find if you've done those and you find you're still drowsy, get up and do walking meditation for a few minutes, and then sit down. And you can do that without 
interrupting the flow of the meditation at all. You're focusing on the sensations of the breath, you make the decision to get up, and you are completely mindful of the movements of the body as you get up, and then you're completely mindful of the walking. You've done it enough. You sit back down again, and throughout the entire process, you're sustaining the practice. Other questions? Good evening. Yeah. Last time you uh, said that the walking meditation complements the sitting meditation, and I forget the point which you said. I remember it was really important, but unfortunately, I, for, I forget what you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> I don't remember what I said last time either. <laughs> But, <laughs> but uh, in in the <laughs> I'm recording it this time. <laughs> um, it, they they are definitely very complementary. Um, they're both doing the same thing, and you're 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 training your mind in terms of, of attention and awareness. Um, they're they're complementary in the sense that in the walking meditation, you you can be you're you're automatically just to be walking at all open to a much wider scope of sensory stimulation and awareness than you are when you're sitting. The sitting is a, a drawing inward and a drawing away from all the sen- senses into stillness, whereas the walking is an opening out and. Uh, into movement and perception. So in that sense, they're complementary to each other. And of course, the walking is also a tremendous benefit to the sitting because there's a limit to how long that you can sit comfortably and you can continue your practice while walking, giving the, giving the body a chance for circulation and then uh, go back to, to sitting again. So I don't know if any of those were the things I said yeah. last time. Uh. I don't think it's exactly, but, but that is Probably. really helpful. Uh, would it be okay if uh, if we do more sits at the expense of doing less walking meditation? Oh, thanks for asking that. Okay, I in the way that I have set this up, I've given you a structure to work within, but. I want you to take the responsibility for maximizing the benefit of your practice. And sometimes that, you know, if sometimes the sitting is going really well and the bell may ring and it's time to do walking meditation, but if the sitting's going well, by all means continue the sitting. There is no reason to, to get up and walk. The other thing is true, too, that sometimes. Uh, that you'll find that this, that the sitting is not going very well because maybe there's just so much sleepiness and drowsiness and things like that. In which case, you may do a double period of walking. And, but the point is to maximize the benefit of the practice. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, if you decide to, do, do, in other words, don't don't sit an extra sit because you find the walking really tedious and you'd rather sit than walk. 
But if the sitting is going really well and you feel like you're going to get some genuine benefit by sitting longer, then do it. Don't skip a sit and keep walking just because you're tired of sitting and walking is much more fun. <laughs> the reason for doing more walking is that it's clear to you that you're going to get more benefit mm-hmm. from, from this time. I mean, you know, life is short and the part of life that you have the opportunity to spend in meditation retreats is limited. You know. And so every, every, every hour, every interval that's, uh, that's scheduled in the day for practice, it's important to make the absolute best use of. So that's, you, can, you can sit for four hours at a time if you want, and you can walk for longer periods of time if you want. Uh, just always do it in such a way that you're maximizing the benefit of your retreat and your practice. And as you go along, what uh, very, very commonly people find after a few days that they can sit longer and they would like to sit longer and it's beneficial for them to, by all means, do that. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yes? Yeah, uh, I, I notice most of the people, they, they see the, like, uh, um, you know, cross legs with like a full lotus position. I'm just wondering, because uh, that thing bothers me, mm-hmm. that position. I'm just wondering, is there any benefit by sitting in that position? Because I, I just simply follow everybody, you know, the way they see. Mm-hmm. But why do we have to see this way? I mean, is there any, you know, better, um, you know, is, is there any benefit, you know, we can, we can gain extra from this position, or we can sit whatever the position? I, you can sit in any position that's best for you, and I do recommend that you find the position that's best for you. There are certain benefits. Like the, the full lotus position with each foot on top of the other knee, if you have the flexibility to sit in that way, it, it locks the body into an almost perfect position in terms of the muscles and bones of the body. Very, very stable. But not everyone can do it. As a matter of fact, not, not that many people can do it. But if you're lucky enough to be able to do it, then it makes it makes sitting uh, for long periods of time, comparatively speaking, easier. And the half lotus with uh, one uh, with one ankle on top of the knee is is not as stable, but it's also it, it has many of the same benefits. Um, but if you can't do it, there's no point in, in pushing yourself to do it. Basically, unless you're very young and very flexible, uh, you would have to do a lot of other kinds of yoga to bring yourself in a point. And the people who do injure themselves are people who sit in full and half lotus particularly. Sitting uh, relatively flat and cross-legged is uh, an extremely stable and comfortable position for long-term sitting. Uh, for most people, and I use the term most people, for most people it is superior to sitting in a chair. But not everyone. There are some people, uh, for one reason or another, uh, certain, certain kinds of back problems or, or things like that, where the uh, sitting cross-legged is, is not the best. And likewise, when you're talking about sitting cross-legged, there's all kinds of modifications. For most people, 
uh, having your buttocks uh, higher than your ankles and your knees so that you're sitting sort of, you know, front to back. If you have a cushion under your buttocks with your knees down, um, for most people, that's the most comfortable way to sit cross-legged. And you can... uh, but you can also sit with your knees bent. You can use uh, what they call a Siza bench. You may have seen meditation benches that you sit on and you put your legs under, things like that. Uh, but it's there's, there's there's no one right way to sit. And as a matter of fact, lying uh, lying down is a legitimate meditation posture, except that it's very difficult. Uh, to deal with the tendency to fall asleep during lying meditation. Standing is a meditation. Often uh, people do standing meditation. Our human bodies are such that to stand still for a long period of time is hard on them. And so standing meditation can be very uncomfortable. But it doesn't really matter. Find the main thing is find the way that allows you to sit the most comfortably for the longest time, except the fact that you're still going to experience some pain in that. There's going to be a period in your practice where you're still going to have some pain and discomfort there. But eventually you will come to a place where you never experience pain on sitting anymore. I don't find sitting in meditation painful. I can sit for four hours at a time without moving and my, it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> and you all come to that place. And it doesn't matter what position that you sit in. But uh, sitting cross-legged on the floor, not in full lotus, not in half lotus, is the way that the largest percentage of people find best to sit. But there's nothing absolute about it. So, how long have you been sitting the way that you are right now? Like, like this. Like this Just way. right now. I'm trying. Is trying for the first time to sit this way? No, no, actually, I, I can sit like that, but for like a half hour more than that, and I, I feel like I'm numb, and I have pain. So, yeah. I have to move around. Well, uh, if, you, if this is not a posture that you're, you're used to from long term, what I would suggest is that over the course of the next uh, few days that you experiment a little bit um, and basically ad- adjusting the, uh, the height, the thickness of the cushion under your buttocks, try a little higher, a little lower until you find what's best for you. Uh, and then also if you, if you start having a lot of leg pain, or you mentioned you had leg pain, if you, if you start having a lot of pain in your legs and your knees, uh, sometimes it's helpful to experiment with adjust, small adjustments in supporting the knees. Um, when I say support the knee, you might put a cushion or maybe a rolled up towel or something under a knee to, to give it support. And what you don't want to do, if, if you raise it half an inch, you're probably, it's probably going to turn out to be terribly uncomfortable. The, the adjustments that are required are very small. It's like just a, a little support and you know, just slightly moving it up will usually be what's best. Uh, also, experiment a little bit with the position of your ankles. A little further out, a little closer in to see 
you know, in terms of your body mechanics, your body, and then you'll find over the course of a few days, you'll, you'll, you'll find the best combination of these and stick with that. But don't, but don't think you're going to come to a place where there's never any pain and discomfort. <laughs> but you'll come to the place where you'll know that, well, this, this is about as good as you're going to get and then just stick with that. Well, I don't know whether it's for the good or not, but once again, I've talked way longer than uh, I scheduled myself to talk. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I thank you for your patience, all of you who have been practicing for a long time when I've been talking about a lot of very basic things. But uh, I have assumed that there are some people here who... Uh, it's helpful to talk about the basics. So, thank you for uh, the patience for those of you that heard this all very many times before. Um, we don't have time to do a, a really uh, to really do a, a sit this evening, and also uh, I have to recognize that although I I can sit here and. Uh, talk to you for an hour and a half and uh, still uh, go ahead and meditate. That probably most of you are feeling the stress of sitting still for so long. So what I'm going to suggest that we do is uh, we'll call this evening to a close. Any, any of you who want to stay, maybe stretch while other people are leaving and then stay and do a sit before bed. Uh, it's wonderful, but we'll start the formal practice uh, with the first sit in, in the morning. Okay. Did someone sign up for the six o'clock wake up bill? Oh, sorry. Uh, yes? Yes. Can um, I suggest you arrange a seat for vendors to come in that You can arrange a better, you know, arrangement for seats for, for us. That, I'm sorry, I didn't. Yeah. And you know this uh, baby is sitting there. I think it's not good. Yes. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. Okay. She's yeah. She's she's going to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can yeah. we just sit like this, or we need to uh, move again? I would suggest that maybe we we'll fix a place which possible so we can. Yeah. So you, you, you find find. Yeah. Whatever pick, you want. Just whatever you want. Fine. Pick the place that you want where you feel most comfortable. Like this, right? Can I just sit over there? Are you sure? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also like to sit anywhere you want, but somebody else isn't already sitting. Somebody <laughs> criticized me putting my mat too close to you, so I have to move. No, come on in. <laughs> come on. So I can I can move close to you, right? You can come as close. Uh, <laughs> See? <laughs> See, so I'm going to move to, to close the teacher. And you don't complain about me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So did someone that w with the bell ringing uh, sign up? I, I don't know where that sheet is. Uh, uh, does anybody know where it is? Yes. It's right there? Mm -hmm. Did someone sign up for the 6 o'clock wake-up bell? Yeah. Uh, yeah me. Jakey. You did? Yeah, Jakey. Okay. I don't know if you had a chance to look around. Uh, so what was your name? Jackie. Jackie. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you had a chance to look around, Jackie, but behind the house that we're staying in, across the bridge, is a great big cylindrical 
temple bell hanging there. And it has a beater attached to it. You, 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 didn't, you didn't notice that one? No. But it's, easy, it's very easy to find. And if uh, you could, uh, at six o'clock, if you could go out and just, you know, hit it as hard as you want. It's a beautiful bill. No, no, the neighbors won't. The neighbors won't hear it, but uh, uh, everyone in the house should be able to hear it. Three times, yeah. Good. I, I have a quick question. If if the weather uh, very good, is that okay? Sometimes I meditation outside. Is that okay? I follow the schedule. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can sit outside. Yes, you can sit outside. All right, thank you. Okay. Space to meditate on the rocks. Also, um, there's more cushions in those cupboards there. You need to adjust your cushions. There's actually okay. There's so sometimes we we can sit outside. Okay. Any any other questions, Dad? Then, uh, I would just like to add, say one housekeeping detail. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there are uh, some mice. <laughs> I, I saw a mouse yesterday, but there are mice around, and so that if you have food uh, with you uh, or even gum or anything that mice a mouse might like, um, <laughs> you probably shouldn't have food in your pockets. And, uh, and when we have breakfast foods and stuff set up, we should probably put lids over top of food. Um, if you want to have food beside you or you know, near you in the house, it should be in a jar or a plastic container. Okay. Yeah, otherwise, you'll get up in the morning and your peanuts will be half-eaten. So. <laughs> <laughs> or your gum will be chewed. <laughs> your, gum, your gum will be chewed. Yeah. Actually, there's a couple of uh, things I want to share with everybody about regarding the uh, housekeeping. Uh-huh. Is that okay? Good. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, number one is, uh, Nancy mentioned about uh, make sure you guys don't put food 